Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Get Geek Podcast, where we celebrate geek, nerd, and pop culture. Each week, we deliver the best analysis for fans, by fans, on anything related to movies, TV, video games, comics, anime, and manga. We talk geek. And now, here's the Get Geek Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Get Geek Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Wolfie, also known as Gabe to some of you guys. And today we're doing something a little bit different. We are going to be doing our very first interview. And joining me today is a really old, really good friend. Um, I would say probably like one of my best friends. Uh, Maybe I guess like the oldest friend I've ever known. John Diaz. Say hi. What is going on, Get Geekers? Is that what you call your audience? <laughs> Actually, yeah, that might be a good one. Get Geekers. Um, that's not bad. Geek we Getters. Should, geek Getters. We should actually come up with like a term for our fan base. Mm, the Geekers. The Geekers. I, I don't know. Something like that. Right. Anyway, so um, John, John Diaz, he is a... A, a a profound gamer, but not just a gamer. He comes with the uh, specific uh, expertise of being a game designer, and he has a very prolific re- resume. And I'll allow John to kind of go ahead and uh, give us a little bit of uh, the history lesson on who John Diaz is and his resume. But um, before we do that, I want to take a moment to thank you guys for tuning in. And just want to remind you guys, we are remote uh, recording remotely, very specifically, not just not just because John is on a whole other coast to where I am, but also because we're still in a pandemic and we're being as safe as possible. So if you hear any kind of um, sound artifacts, uh, dogs barking, doorbells, police car sirens and all that stuff, that's just the way it is at the moment. We're going to try our best to keep it as clean of an audio recording for you as possible, but please bear with us and we apologize in advance for anything that you might hear from that point of view. Okay. Also, please take the time to go ahead and like, rate, share, and subscribe. Uh, share this with all your friends. Let everyone know that we're doing interviews now and um, yeah, rate us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Prime now or Amazon Music podcasts. I don't even know what they're called now, really. Hmm. Um, maybe maybe John could tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, but you can find us anywhere that you like to listen to podcasts. Right, rate us there. It's going to help us be able to kind of generate and garner more viewership so we can bring you more interviews, more cool content, more prizes, um, and giveaways and so on. So anyways, now into the, into into our interview today. So John, tell us a little bit about us. Tell, tell us a little bit about how we met. Um, and and then, you know, give us a little rundown on your resume, you know? All right. All right. I'll give you my 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 LinkedIn summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so uh, just to kind of go back into time, into history, you actually, are LinkedIn. Actually, LinkedIn summary first. OK. And then uh, back into time. All right. All right. All right. SJP. <laughs> Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> High school. Wow. The Internet never forgets. OK, sure. So uh, 
Hey, Get Geekers. I'm John Diaz, as Gabriel introduced me. I'm super happy to be here. Um, I'm subscribed to the podcast, and I really wish this was around back in my high school days uh, just to just to get my cred up man, and cover as much ground as possible. So I'm really happy to be on this side of things. A little bit about me, humble beginnings, New York City native, first generation American, you know, mom and pop emigrated from Dominican Republic. Uh, shout out I, to Mamita. <laughs> shout out <laughs> to Mamita. Amen. And I... Uh, you know, I guess, what do I tell people? Okay, so I earned, I went through Fulso University, way down south in Orlando to get my game development bachelor's degree in 06. And I broke into the industry about half a year later in 2007. I got my foot in the door, super fortunately and luckily, as a game designer for the now defunct Midway Games, Austin, right? This is the, the house that Mortal Kombat built. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Even before then, man, this is like old arcade games, right? Like yeah, Frogger yeah, and Pinball exactly. Machines and Williams Entertainment and things like this. So, But the house that built Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. At least the house that published and, and, and sent those games out. Um, and that was down in Austin, Texas, right? So New York City born and bred. Educated in Orlando, first gig in the door in Austin, Texas, then uh, where I shipped my first game, which I would be happy to know if anyone is familiar with or has played uh, Black Sight <laughs> Area 51 for Xbox 360, PS3 and PC back in 2007. Then uh, we can get into the details between my, my journey somehow, some way. A few years later, a couple years later, in 2009, I joined Rockstar in their San Diego huge. studios. That's I mean, to me, this was... Leap. That's a huge jump from, from, from Midway that ended up becoming defunct all the way to Rockstar as your next. That's just your second you know, company that you work for, yeah? Yeah, dude. I will quote one of my good friends, Chris Barasa, right? I'd rather be lucky than good. And I was definitely <laughs> lucky to get my foot in the door there. But we can go into details on, on that transition because there was definitely some like star alignment. Uh, so broke in the yeah. door at, at what I would say was my top game developer on my list, Right. If I have a short list of the favorite games I like to play and uh, geek out and, and I'm a fanboy of, it's definitely always been GTA since three. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. we're going to get into like your list of favorite games and stuff in a moment. I, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued, like, you know, because I, I have like some fond memories. I mean, I think we connected like on video games big time back then, even before multiplayer was a thing. So, yeah, interested, I, I'm, I'm interested to like know what your favorite games growing up is. Yeah, we'll I get think, there. yeah, I think I think our Venn diagram of <laughs> likes was definitely like wrestling, comic books, and video games. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, wrestling. Oh my <laughs> God, dude, no mercy. No mercy. <laughs> At Chris like Oviedo's Chris house. <laughs> For oh, the my God. oh my mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. uh, the infamous reset button. <laughs> oh, yo, my, my controller's unplugged. What happened? Oh, God. 
Yep. Um, anyway, yeah. Rockstar. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Rockstar and um, I rocked with them the far, the longest I've ever been with any company or team or group of guys for a good five years before taking some time off to kind of find center, recollect, uh, figure out life. And when I came back and I was ready to do it again and kind of uh, recharge the fuel cells, I ended up doing a huge jump, not only across the country, but outside of the country and venturing on up to Montreal. So coming back to the Northeast and into Canada to work at WB Games Montreal. Another and huge name. In, in entertainment and, and in games, they're, they're, they're coming. They're coming. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you guys on, on, the, on the podcast saw their latest reveal at the DC Fandome event. Right, right. Yeah, Gotham Knights. Um, so had a stint there, more game design work. Um, before getting kind of uh, lured, <laughs> like uh, there was a little getting poached, getting, getting yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, recruited the, the word, is recruited the word, maybe, maybe, uh, by Amazon, and that kind of brought me because at the time in my head, I you know, I I was happy in Montreal in the cold, cold winter, being close back to home, going through seasons again. Right. Thinking that I was I was good here, you know, pretty good team. Um, yeah. If I remember, you had just bought like some property up there and everything. Exactly. Kind of, like, getting ready to like, you know, hey, I'm going to put my foothold over here. This is like I'm good. Yeah, and then bro. Amazon happened. <laughs> I was like, yeah, my first time planting roots, right? I got my, my get <laughs> yeah. root on and I was like, all right, this is where I'm going to be. And, you know, Your that just goes group. to say, <laughs> it just goes to say that you can, you, you know, nothing's ever definitive. All, all the best laid plans are, you know, easily crushed. Uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. It's so, a, there's a whole like star alignment thing too, right? Like it seems like it's, it, it, it just, you know, has been like aligning, you know, moving in that direction. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I, we can never wear this analogy out, but one of my heroes, Bruce Lee, you know, be water, bro. For go with the flow. Don't ever try to be too rigid or set in your ways. Opportunities sure. come yeah. at you and yeah. you have to be open to them. And they're always going to come at you when you least expect it or when you are least ready for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that's how I can attribute some of my luck or success, however you want to look at it. To say that right. I was I mean, willing to go with the flow. Right. I mean, look, luck, all luck is, is is preparedness and opportunity, right? An opportunity uh, came and you were prepared to take it. That's all they, it was. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love that perspective. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you ended up at Amazon. How long were you at Amazon? So I made the jump from Montreal. I finished out the year, right? Like I, I got to mm-hmm. have one big party with the team for our holiday party and then made the move at the end of 2017 to Seattle and then started at the beginning of 2018 to make a shift from strict game development, right? Which is me as a designer on one project mm-hmm. to coming into the game technology aspect. So serving the tools 
and the engine, right? I, I like to compare this to it for people that aren't familiar with things like Unreal Engine or Unity. I like to compare it to maybe like an Adobe suite, right? Like, hey, you can have your video editors and your graphic editors and people like this, um, but they are empowered by the Adobe suite of software. So that's what I was coming right, into. Right. That's a good mm-hmm. analogy. That's a good way to put it. I was thinking more of like you went from like uh, from driving the F1 racing car to designing the F1 or, or working on the actual vehicle itself. Okay. 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 I, I'll take that. I'll take that one step further. Right. Um, if our players are the drivers mm. and the game designers are the ones figuring out like the aerodynamics and the look right, and right. the feel uh, and what wheels to use and things like this, then the game engine developers are literally in the physics and nuts and bolts of the engine and the, um, you know, freaking... They're the, they're, they're, they're the card. So the players are the drivers. The game designers are the pit stop crew that make sure everything is polished. And the and, 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 and you're the guy at Amazon. You're the guy creating the engine for its maximum output. Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that. I like it. I like it. Let's go with that. that. That's what I thought I was aligning myself to. Right. So okay. the thinking the thinking behind that is if we can be the Enzo Ferrari, the Henry Ford pumping out a solid engine that can go into multiple cars at once that hundreds of drivers are in, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? It allows me to have a bigger impact at scale for the same amount of time. And that's what I was interested in, right? I was, there was some things that happen where, you know, you're on a project and it gets canceled and it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth where it's like, okay, I invest a lot of myself into one thing. How can I be a little bit more detached, but uh, see more, content come out into the world and that's what mm-hmm. really kind of lured me in mm. yeah yeah i mean we're also going to talk a little bit about like with the game designer's lifestyle and what it what you know what are the expectations when you're working in the industry and stuff like that and i think that's going to kind of fall in 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 that realm as far as like you know game cancellations and stuff like that getting credits you know, getting the work that you want to do and show off in your your product, your end product and whatnot. It's going to kind of live in that realm. So, um, but with Amazon, you, you were there for how long? With Amazon, I just finished there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my last day was October 2nd, a Friday, a sunny Friday, October 2nd. Wow. A sunny <laughs> Friday. Uh, and were but for how long were you there? So just shy of three years. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. I remember when, like, for, when you know, when 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 I got the call and all that. When I found out about Amazon, I mean, I was super stoked because it's Amazon. It's that's huge. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe not obviously not necessarily huge in the game world, but just in general, you're working for like top two, top top three, I guess, between Google, Facebook, Amazon. You know. Um, well, Microsoft, like it's just, you know, to, to get something like that. And it's not just like, Hey, you're like an Amazon prime delivery guy. You're working on like their newest, latest, freshest thing. But like you've moved on from that now to, you know, something bigger in the game industry. 
Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. Are you at liberty to speak? I think you are, right? Yes. Yeah. Not everything right. is public now. Uh, I only serve one master now. And <laughs> yeah, so definitely as a computer geek, uh, deep, deep down in my core, never thinking that I would be able to touch or rub elbows with Silicon, the, you know, the Silicon five or whatever. Um, I was super, at least for myself, um, very humbled and super ecstatic to be able to come into a huge tech giant as Amazon, right? Like you said, yeah. the tech giants being Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, right, Apple. and Facebook. Um, I was super ecstatic. And it, when I was making the hard decision to leave Warner Brothers, you know, a lot of people uh, understood my passion. They were like, hey, man, you know, you're kind of leaving games. But if if that's really what you want to explore, we support you kind of thing. And um, so after three nice years of that warm, comforting blanket of <laughs> Silicon Tech Corporation, I, you know, I think there is a, a side of me that missed the the uh, cutting edge wild west of video game development. And to be Ooh, fair, they uh, there was this kind of tailor fit position for something that I've been trying to build over over the years in my career that presented itself at Electronic Arts and. Um, you know, behind the scenes, I've danced with electronic arts here or there throughout my career. And finally, 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 it worked out. And uh, so now I can call myself an electronic artist and I'm doing what I was doing at Amazon, but for them and their proprietary technology, helping them work on their Frostbite engine that powers, you know, their games like FIFA, Madden, Need for Speed, Mass Effect, Anthem, um, and other games like this. That's and and like I said, guys, everyone that's out there listening, like I said, as you can see, he has John has 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 you know experienced a very prolific career already so far in uh, the young tender age of mid thirties. So, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm over the hump, man. I'm over the. We're over the hump. <laughs> we're over the hump. Um. So it's it, it's really amazing that you go from. You know, full sale to Midway, and then you make the big jump to Rockstar, then Warner Brothers, Amazon, and then now at EA. And I think that's absolutely amazing, um, especially coming from the humble beginnings of uh, St. John's Prep, where we both attended high school. And, and for which, for which, if it wasn't for my inability to bring notebooks and loose leaf paper to school, we would not be having this interview here today. <laughs> yes, it is totally that. And and so it's worth noting that we had lockers, right? So we can keep stuff on at school. So the the fact that you came empty-handed was impressive to me, right? I think that that took <laughs> determination. I don't know if impressive is the word that I would have used. Um, I was just like, trying to be a minimalist. Yes, you were a minimalist, bro, and I I value that. I value that now in my older age. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. You were you were pioneering the movement. Yeah, especially because nobody writes anything in a notebook anymore. That's and what's it. funny, it's what you know. What's really funny is that now all I do is write in notebooks. I have in my bag in my uh, 
daily uh, bag that I that I carry. I have three small notebooks that I write in almost daily, and then I have a couple other journals as well. Like I have a I have two notebooks on my desk right now. It's it's kind of funny that like now mm-hmm. I always have pencil, pen, and paper. <laughs> Bro, it's it's it, we do in our adulthood we do the things that we were always yelled at to do as a child, but didn't see the value of it. Right? We we figure it out true. eventually. Yeah, eventually it makes sense. And we ne- we never listened, but it makes sense. And and I miss that as well. I miss having a pen and jotting stuff down. Yeah. Like I'm always around some type of phone Technology. or computer or pad or tablet where I can just I'm type screen. it in. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it's the tactileness. I need. I need to be able to like feel the pen and paper. Um, so just so that you guys understand what it is, I forgot what class we were in. But because <laughs> I, I because I'm I never... say it was introduction to occupations with Sister Thor- Dorothy. Wow! Damn. Well, yeah, I, that's exactly what it was. And <laughs> because I never carried anything, and I think John was behind me, in front of me, probably in front something of you. like that. Yeah, because we, just... we have. No, actually, yeah, I don't know why. If our last names are pretty far apart, Diaz and Marte, but uh, yeah, and everything was alphabetically. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. So we were like, I just always like reached over to him to ask for a pen and paper, literally. And I don't even know what for. To be honest, I think it was just because all I could think about at that time was was video games, comic books, and, <laughs> and training. Because I've I've always done martial arts, so for me, I was just trying to like make it look like I was like doing some work. And then at the end of class, I would just throw out the piece of paper. And give back the pen. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to coast. Unfortunately, guys, do not do that. Okay, do your work. Okay, I pay the price. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we got a, we got our, we got a diploma, man. You know. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. I mean, yeah, we did, we did all right. I think, and, I think and we I, got, I ended, we got I ended up, I ended up correcting myself. You know, I corrected yeah. the ship. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, like actually, I used to annoy the crap out of you because of that until. When did we start? Like, did we start like bonding over Street Fighter at Milano's? I think that the coincidence of life put us in the same gym class, so we would play sports yeah. together. Oh yeah, and and our lockers were not too far away from each other, and right. you know, lunch and somehow, yeah, yeah. somehow hanging out Street Fighter. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember the first time I went to Milano's, but that was a that was a regular trip to mm-hmm. play Street Fighter Three. Oh, that's man. our neighbor. That was our high school local pizza joint that had a Street Fighter Three machine. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of like how we met. How we kind of got started. We kind of clicked over that. I know that I used to annoy the crap out of you until like it was like, oh wait, you like comics? You like video games? Yeah. Uh, we have the same birthday. Yeah, like all these different coincidences. I was like, oh, maybe this is all meant to be. I think it was. I like to believe it was. I, I'm with you on that. So, granted, now on, on like on the subject of back to the subject of video games, um, what game exactly got you into video games itself? Like, what you know, what's the f- you know, let's go into like your favorite game growing up as a child, like before high school, right? Yeah, bet, bet. I could recall, I mean, I started, right, if I'm an 80s baby, I had the great fortune to get an NES. So this was Super Mario Brothers, uh, old first Legend of Zelda gold cartridge, then uh, probably like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles side-scrolling beat-em-ups, 
you know, then Genesis and Super Nintendo. And so Street Fighter on Super Nintendo was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat was definitely huge for me. Uh, and then Zelda, is it Link's Awakening or Link to the Past? I get those confused, right? One of those for Game Boy, one was, one was for SNES. Uh, I believe it's a, a, a Link to the Past, I think, is is uh, the Game Boy one, I believe. Okay, so then it was probably sure. Link's Awakening or something for the SNES. Yeah. So hardcore Nintendo fanboy, right? Hardcore fighting game fan. Uh, I played anything and everything I could get my hands on, right? I even have some yeah. some some PC gaming in like Doom 2 and Marathon and Wolfenstein. Uh, but I would say the thing that kind of captivated me, and I'm sure for many of us at the time, right, like late 90s, kind of transitioning into this new dawn of your know, video games are coming hard, right? Kind of synonymous with like, First PlayStation and Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, Mario 64 was was huge. Just that freedom of movement that I can right. be in yeah, a game. The world. Exactly. I can be in a game and not really have to do a damn thing, but have a blast just whoop, whoop, ha-ha, jumping around and flipping <laughs> and swimming and climbing trees and stuff like that. Right there, that freedom of movement. Damn, you know what? I didn't even think about it. Mario, like, uh, Mario World 64, like that, that that had to be the one that was like oh my god this is amazing like as far as power as far as like like immersive mm-hmm. you know video game world like that was it right and 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 they kind of showed the rest of the industry right i've talked to a lot of uh the veterans uh what was their big uh light bulb moment in 3D and they all Mm -hmm. point back to Mario 64 like hey you know they figured out the camera they figured out the controls and it was as free as possible up to that point a lot of people just didn't know how to really incorporate 3D beyond the first person perspective Hmm. and so Nintendo kind of solved that problem as they typically do because because the first person perspective was Doom right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that was the first like uh like you know, you have a, essentially a 3D world where you can move forward, back, up, look up and down and stuff, right? Like it's Doom. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they kind of gave you that first feel. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like moving freely in a, in a yeah. 3D world, yeah, it was like Half-Life. That's true. Um, and those guys. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I thought like, I, I'm surprised that you didn't mention Mega Man in there. Oh my gosh! Absolutely, because for Thank me, you. like Mega Man was 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 probably for on the in the Nintendo world even more mm-hmm. so than Mario. It was a uh, Mega Man that killed it for me, you know. Definitely, definitely. I Mega Man, Mega Man is up there in like my top ten, eight bit, sixteen bit yes. era days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good call. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me about that one. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. He and 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 he was like, he had these awesome. Uh, bigger, badder brother figures, right? Like where he was like kind of the blue yeah. little generic dude. He had either a Proto Man or a Zero. That oh, was like Proto Man and Zero. Those are two of my favorites. I love Zero. Yeah. I was always a Zero fan. Absolutely. Mega and then when he got his oh. games, they were super oh, good. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh my God. It's funny. I just recently played like through all the Mega Mans and all the Mega Man X's um, on the Nintendo Switch. They're out there like the collection. Yeah. The collection. Yeah, that's so good. Um, 
So, so moving on to like kind of your career now, right? So like we got mm-hmm. a little glimpse into like what I'll throw, got you I'll throw, into video games and stuff. Oh. Sorry, to, sorry to get you back. No, no, no. no. I, I have to. I have to give credit to Metal Gear Solid and oh like my Final, gosh, Final Fantasy Seven. Oh. Final Fantasy Six, Final Fantasy Seven, and Metal Gear Solid for sure were huge. All right, so FF Seven. Everyone on this podcast already knows that FF Seven is a uh, you know very de- near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's in my top five growing up video games, nostalgia, like all the way until like 20, 20 years at like, let's say by the time I got to college and stuff, you know, it was Metal Gear Solid, SOCOM and Final Fantasy SOCOM. Yo, Halo, can I say that? I, oh my God. Oh, Halo. Yeah. Halo, Halo, I, <laughs> Halo. I mentioned because this was college, right? This was like officially getting to college was my land was party. Halo. Halo. Yep. <laughs> parties on the D block. <laughs> Stony Brook. Oh, uh, man. What's good with the Halo? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so. Oficina. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> come to the office. <laughs> yes, man. Um, yeah. All right. So. <laughs> yes. So, all right. We, we we have like our list of, of, of what games really inspired you to, to, to fall in love with video games in general. But like, what made you, what was, what was what was the deciding factor? What made you decide to get into the video games industry? Because you were going already to school at Stony Brook University, studying uh, computer engineering and stuff, and something happened along the way where you decided to, you know, like kind of pivot. start over. Yeah, pivot. yeah, yeah. It was crazy to me because uh, I knew that I was one in one drawn to computer in some shape or fashion, right? So. In whatever form you want to look at it, right, whether I was messing around with graphic programs, whether I was modding levels in Doom or GTA 3 or something like that, or I was online surfing the web or whatever, uh, I, I knew that I w- my future involved computer development of some shape or form. And at the time, traditional colleges, when you look through that big Bible of classes or degrees, there was probably two things that had computer in them, right? And so it was computer science or computer engineering. And so computer engineering seemed to be more math heavy, uh, which which at the time I felt like I had a a natural inclination to or just a a good muscle sense for math and calculus Mm -hmm. and things like this. So that's what I signed up for. And I went to a traditional four-year state university where we drilled in all the engineering background things like physics and calculus and chemistry, which I did not appreciate it as much as I do now. Um, I remember you used to, it was like, you used to break your brain. Yes, bro. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I sense a little bit of PTSD there, a little bit of trauma. (laughs) Yo, it was not easy for me, right? Like the jump from high school to college was two different worlds and I don't know if I suffered from, you know, the 300 man lecture hall sitting in the nosebleeds uh, or what have you or learning right. about just having freedom, living in dorms and exploring all the social events and getting to grow up. Right. Just becoming a free man and adult mm-hmm. and, and learn about life. Uh, and it just was not clicking with me, man. But I did eventually get to my CS courses of my computer engineering degree, which for me was programming in Java. And at the time, this was my first foot into programming because 
None of my schools taught it. All the times I had an elective option to sign up for programming, there was never enough interest by the student body to hold it. So it was always canceled. So if, when I okay. finally got a taste of it, I felt so powered, Gabe, that I can sit in a text editor, type some code, right, which is just, you know, characters in a notepad file. And I can hit save and throw it into a compiler and it would run a program that would do things. And some of the original RPGs are text-based, choose-your-own-adventure style, right? So pretty Mm -hmm. basic logic commands of like, if you say yes, do this. If if else, if it's false, do this, right? So everything was, you know, 50-50 decision trees or you have one in four options and then, you know, roll a random number die to power you up or kill you in one hit, right? Like that's that's the very basic uh, yeah. foundations of RPGs today, right? And you know, it's funny because I, I kind of experienced the same thing. I mean, later in life, I ended up uh, trying to get into, you know, video game development and went to, I, I also had a stint at Full Sail doing uh, mobile development and whatnot. Um, nice. My own career you know, path kind of changed when, you know, I got into, you know, entrepreneurship and stuff and I put a stop to that. But um, I kind of felt the same way, right? Like the first time that I started doing Java, you know, I also felt like super empowered the same exact way. Like I'm just like when I under when I stood, started to understand exactly how, you know, coding actually works, mm-hmm. where it really is. I didn't even, you know, what? I didn't even think about it. Like, yeah, it's literally just a bunch of characters on a digital piece of paper Mm -hmm. and it does stuff and it's like holy (laughs) crap you know so i totally get that that's a yeah yeah for sure yeah bro and that that kind of woke up a beast in me and that was like oh this is what i want this is what i want to do more of so at the time my options were okay switch to full computer science and what i realized is computer science was very flooded right it was a huge Mm -hmm student body going to computer science and mm-hmm. competition was was pretty big but so be it right this was this was what it was in front of me at the same time i'm reading for those of you that remember print publications and electronic gaming monthly and game pro oh my god pc gamer <laughs> i need to start collecting those i want to i want to go back and like find them and collect some of the best covers yeah, yeah, the, which right, like the, they were they were on par with comic books, right? They would sit next For to sure. comic books, absolutely. And sometimes you would have collaborations with comic book artists doing the covers, and uh, and being like, yeah, it was it was part of my same budget, right? If I had ten bucks, you know, I was definitely buying some comic books and buying like EGM, and that and that that's how I would get my my fix, right? To stay on stay on top of trends and news. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, dude. And um, flipping through some ep- issue at the back was a page or two that highlighted this school where you can learn how to make games. And I didn't realize that it was off of that. A little, it would, I'll, I'll flip back there. And I'm so in my head and and I'll, I'll, I'll shout out to my first Stony Brook roommate, Corey Grimes, who was a senior when I was coming in as a freshman and he had an elective for game programming. And so he kind of early on seeded that connection where you can program and make games or games are just programs. And because I guess up until then, I didn't really know that connection. 
because I didn't know anybody around me doing it, right? Nobody really talked right. about it. We all played games. And in my head, yeah. games were built in Japan. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true, right? Like <laughs> NES, Sony, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, and, 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 and to, that, to that fact, um, you know what, you're right. I think that growing up, I think everybody just assumed that like games were artists create some stuff. And then mm-hmm. there's like some sort of like thing where like it's an arrow key, like they create something where it's just like, oh, like, you know, arrow up, arrow left, arrow right when they touch the controller and that's it, you know, um, yeah. not really realizing that it's it's that coding is so much more intricate and so much more involved um, with the computer science world. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're one in one. They're one in the same. Right. Like when yeah, you look exactly. at it, it some is. Of these, yeah. Yeah. You can look at some of these Netflix documentaries like High Score that get into the whole background oh, and, and birth of documentary, stuff. actually. Mm-hmm. That's such a good documentary. Yeah, and you could see that a lot of these, a lot of the first game programmers were all X like Xerox people or Microsoft people or Apple people or like IBM people. Um, they all came from that that school, right? And so he made the connection for me. Then you know some wind that crept into my dorm room at night and flipped to that page in the back of the EGM <laughs> and lit the light bulb and. The third piece, the third piece that kind of aligned my path was when I go and I call and they're like, hey, we are located not far from Orlando, Florida. And mind you, this is the place where I have a good half of my family is in Orlando. So I immediately get on the phone, call Titi and I'm like, yo, Tia, I want to come check out the school. That's all wanna- for you Spanish non-speaking people out there. Yes. <laughs> Aunt, I want to call my aunt and I want to come check out the school and I want to visit you guys. And I think it happened to be like spring break or something. So it took some time, went to visit the school and the campus is impressive then, right? I, this was like 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you guys were to Google pictures of the campus now, you'd be pretty, pretty blown away at what they've built over there. Uh, so compared to kind of traditional brick and mortar hundreds of years old college campuses full sale just looked cutting edge to me yeah right? i was gonna say it's like a new age kind of school you know with mm-hmm. the architecture the way the campus was laid out and all that stuff um it just looked futuristic and uh they had the way they were structured were they were kind of like boot camp style where it's like 21 months bachelor degree consecutive no time off you know uh, eight hour days, um, mm-hmm. four hours of theory, and then four hours of hands on. And that was what I needed, especially to learn something like coding, right? I needed to be hands on in it, unobstructed, day in, day out, living, eating, and breathing it for it to kind of resonate and stick right. in and for me to comprehend it. A full sale kind of treated it like a job, right? Like you're on the job as it is, you know? Yeah, th- there was no time for me to. There was, yeah, there was a Monday through Friday. This is your schedule. This is your deliverables. Um, and if you don't meet it, you're fired. Yeah, pretty much. Like they, <laughs> Essentially, a lot of people, basically. Yeah, a lot of people got weeded out. A lot of, you know, if I started with like 80 people, probably 20 of us graduated, you know. And um, and so it's fair to say that the 20 of us that did graduate, you know, are still uh, holding it, holding it, repping strong mm-hmm. in the industry, mm-hmm. doing pretty yeah. good things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... What what resources were available to you 
uh, I guess like once you completed your degree at Full Sail and stuff like that, what resources did you have as far as like breaking into the industry? Because breaking into the game industry is very, very different than getting a regular job. I mean, like talk me through, you know, what it's like getting into the game industry, the interview process and all that stuff. Um, I myself like went through like a stint of, uh, I mean, I don't, I actually don't even know if you know this, but like, I went through like a bunch of like interviews trying to like, you know, break in, in Austin when I lived in Austin with you uh, well, after you left, um, uh, into, into production, associate production and stuff like that. Yeah. So, like, I went through like a billion interviews myself. Um, Yo. but yeah, talk to me about like, uh. You know that, like, what is it? What does somebody that has a game degree uh-huh. or wants to get a games degree, a games design degree, um, how do they break in? And what's it like getting a job? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll take a step back and say that this was my path, and I think today this was what like fourteen, fifteen yes. years ago. Very uh, different. So I would say that today, with the internet and YouTube and Unity and Unreal, there's you can build a game on your own much easier than back then. Yes. I, th- I think all the resources are there for you to figure out how to make something happen and, and find like-minded people on a discord uh, server or something and, and, and do things remotely. So this was my path back then in a time where YouTube wasn't as prominent as it was. And again, a game developer was like a unicorn in the wild, right? Like, I never met one before. <laughs> I, I've read yeah. about I've read about them in magazines and I've seen and I've read interviews, but I've never met one before, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, I had on my resume at that point. Then I had a few of the projects that I worked on through the full sale curriculum, right? Which was kind of like complete games, where I was like design director for. Um, so these are things that I can talk to interviewers about. But again, I fully suspected that I would break in as a game programmer, right? Programming tools or programming gameplay, writing right. code to make things happen in games. And I was looking for work and not hearing anything back. And I think I had one Microsoft interview hit me up. I probably had like an EA QA position that responded to me. And then my, I don't know, I, I would call him career development. I guess he probably equates to like guidance counselor or something, but he took a shine to me throughout the program and I sent him my resume and he helped me polish that up. And so Midway would come to recruit from Full sale at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think this is all, to the credit of my peers that were already at Midway from Full Sail that were kind of building up a solid reputation of like, yo, these guys, even though they have zero experience, are coming out of the school ready to hit the ground running. And to be fair, since we had no experience, we were pretty cheap, right? Uh, We can do a lot for very little pay, um, which game developers appreciate. And they came back, what I, I wanted to say, for like a third round of recruiting. And um, Rob Coble, who was the man, put my resume in the stack. And I was able to get my first interview. They came to college. I sat with them in a room. This was kind of Harvey Smith and Jim Stiefelmeyer. Um, Harvey Smith has, has gone on to do, he's kind of like um, creative director on games like Dishonored now. 
uh, this is what you, 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 most of you guys might be familiar with his work. Yeah. And, um, so I interviewed with him and I was not like, to, if I, if I would have told you I was caught off guard, that would be an understatement, right? Like I came in brushing up on my game programming, ready to pseudocode on a whiteboard, various <laughs> algorithms and stuff like that. And but interviewing these, in the game, it, it's completely not what you would expect, huh? Well, not not from this aspect, right? I, I, okay. Unbeknownst to me, it was for a game design position, um, which is very different. And we were having a conversation very much like me and you were having a conversation right now, Gabe, where yeah. we were just talking about all the topics that Get Geek would have, you know, powered me up on, right? They would come at me and be like, John, you know, talk to me about Bruce Wayne. And why is Bruce <laughs> Wayne such a pop icon? And why is he so relatable? And why do people want to play like Bruce Wayne or be a Bruce Wayne? And we would talk about games and breaking down games I didn't like. And why didn't I like them? And, you know, it's different to, to have the conversation, it's, it's, but it's another... It's another perspective when you can eloquently break down why something is failing and how would you fix it what so so what exactly is the um i mean i guess i get an idea of like why this is the uh, the, the their at least their method um but what what specifically is the the strategy behind it right because you know if you're you know you get a degree in accounting and you look for a job in accounting they're going to ask you to account stuff if you get a <laughs> you know a degree Definitely. in math they're going to be like all right solve this problem if you get a you know a deg- if if you get a degree in 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 english composition you want to be an english teacher or whatever it's like write this as i don't know i'm i'm just throwing stuff out there i have no idea what it takes to get these jobs but that's my assumption right like generally if you if if you're a lawyer they're going to ask you like you know legal stuff and you know you know referencing that sort of stuff you know it's it's very it's, it's very much like 1 plus 1 equals 2 right however this is very very different you know you don't expect to go for you know, you, you want to be a game designer and you study programming and all that. And first question is like, so why do you like Bruce Wayne? You know what I mean? So, Definitely. So what's the thought process behind, you know, that interview, the strategy and, and you know, just game design interviews and as, as, a, as a whole? Yeah. So for sure, uh, engineering interview is more typical what you'd expect, right? Like here's a programming test and, you know, it's very logical and you get score mm-hmm. and then that kind of gets you your foot in the door. Then they're going to want to drill you on your fundamentals. Somehow, some way I was in a game design interview and this, what I've noticed, and it's, it's very prevalent through today where mm-hmm. a game designer's job is to identify what is fun, what is relatable, and what do the masses want to play, right? At the end of the day, something I've learned and it's taken me a lot of time to learn is we don't get to build the game we want or for us. We have to build the game for the masses, right? We have to build games that will sell, that are appealing, that catch your attention, that stay relevant, and... um, make you feel a sense of accomplishment uh, on top of all the other layers of progression and narrative and um, powers and uh, aesthetics and power-ups and, and, and uh, freedom of movement and things like that, right? Like camera. So 
when you go into a game design interview, at least at this particular instance, they wanted to make sure that I was well-rounded enough where I can not just look at something through the lens of what I like, but right. look at something through the lens of what my neighbor would like, or you would like, or my sister would like, or my mother would like. And to be able to find that middle ground so that I can reach the most amount of potential players and build something that all of them can play and have a good time playing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, because at the end of the day, it's still a business and they got to put like as many copies of the video game in as many hands as possible in order to be able to have the money, the funds to make the next video game. Um, yes. So, so clearly you got hired at Midway, right? <laughs> as, as legend has told it, I, I did get, <laughs> right. I, they did sign checks and did pay me. There is, time. there, there, there is a, uh, like a, a, a gem, some sort of a gem out there, uh, called black site. Area 51 black site. <laughs> Very um, rough, cold looking thing. You gotta like <laughs> compress it. Um, there, there's, 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 there's a, a good amount of fun in there if you if you allow yourself to have fun with it. Um, what was it like working on your first game? What was it like working at Midway? You know, your first video game company. You know, as far as like your expectations go, you know, you know, for those of you guys out there that are like, man, I want to, you know, I want to go into game design and stuff like that. I want to work work on games. You know, what's the experience like? You know, um, working at Midway. I mean, I have my experience of visiting the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, very specifically playing, you know, all nighter uh Metal Gear Solid Four on the uh Paramount yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we um, did that. Yeah. And Street Fighter in the lobby. And Street Fighter and Street Fighter challenges and lessons from Sensei Mike Jones. And Rock Band and <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Pinball. We're painting a really pretty picture right now. <laughs> sure, sure. Um but yeah, what was it like working at Midway, man? Yeah, bro. Uh you know, when I look back on it. I realized how fortunate I was to come aboard a studio like that, working on a game that I would play in, what was it, like the second year of the that generation, right? So 360 and PS3 had just come mm-hmm. out the year prior. And so this year was a big year for all of these games, right? Like pushing graphics, pushing online, right? Like Xbox Live was, was coming into its own. Gears of War had just shipped, right? Halo 3 had was coming out on the horizon gta 4 was coming out on the horizon so the market was was prime bro and to be a part of that to be able to say hey i'm inside this and i'm talking to people and and we're solving problems and we're trying to compete um was just a fantastic time so i will say this and and i've had to think about this over the years because when you come into a space me no experience you know green john diaz coming in with these people that have been making games for many years it's easy for you to feel a sense of, or at least for me, personally speaking, to feel a sense of imposter syndrome. It's like, I don't belong here. What am I doing? How, how do I stay afloat or prove myself, so to speak? And what I can say to that effect that really helped me as, you know, I don't know, 23 years old, um, was the fact that I was surrounded by a few of my peers from Full Sail, right, that mm-hmm. were probably a couple right. months or so uh, freshly graduated. So we all, all instantly had that familiar background and could speak the same language. A little bit of camaraderie already. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
to remind me that, yo, this is hard work. We, we're not going to have the answers, but we can figure it out together. And that's one of the strongest um, traits or abilities that anybody in any industry can afford is <clears throat> the ability to communicate, uh, get and take feedback and collaborate, right? Like, like yeah. my idea is not going to be the thing that gets in the box. And, but our idea collectively after shining and refining and cutting the fat, polishing, yeah. polishing mm-hmm. is what's going to lead to the best product at the end of the day. So I had like-minded peers on top of very senior veteran game developers that can teach us and mentor us and guide us and respect the fact that it's like, I'm a noob. I don't know what I'm talking about. You have done this. Show me, teach me sensei. Right. Yeah. And um, what, what we really had it working in our favor were pretty powerful tools in Unreal Engine 3. And the fact that it was relatively new across the industry, we were all wrestling with this, right? Um, it was kind of uncharted territory and we were all wrestling with this and we were all, and we had, you know, pretty beefy machines at the time. I, I can't even tell you, whatever Intel Pentium processor with state of the art <laughs> NVIDIA graphics card and hard drive space and land cables. Um, and, and my first time dealing with two monitors. Um, but so we had the equipment to do whatever we can dream of. And we had awesome people that wanted to make the best game possible. And we're all for sharing knowledge, teaching you um, and me being receptive to the feedback of like, I'm trying to do this thing. And so just to take a step back and talk about my day to day in that environment, we were set up in a pod format. And so typically you may have one of two structures depending on studio uh, organization. Mm -hmm. Um, One is like, hey, all the designers sit together and we're designing stuff and all the artists sit together and they're making beautiful looking uh, models and aesthetics and then all the engineers are together making sure that the game runs and, 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 and so on and so forth. In the pod that, that, structure. That, that, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. You go. No, no, no. I, no, 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 no. I, I, I thought I was going to say I thought that was the pod structure. We're gone. So in the pod structure or strike team, you have one person. Ooh, strike from, team. <laughs> one person <laughs> from each discipline or specialty in a pod or in a little like cubicle space. So mm-hmm. I was the scripter. Then I had my, my world builder next to me. Then behind me, I had my environment artist. And then behind me, I had my character artist. And we shared an, a sound guy, an animator, and maybe like a gameplay programmer. Hmm. So we're pretty self-contained and we can quickly iterate on a to- on, a, on, a, on an encounter or a mission. So Blacksite is an old school level-based campaign, similar to what a Call of Duty single-player campaign might be right point a gets from point a to point b cool cinematics from in the beginning middle and end and then you jump in a helicopter and then cutscene plays and then you're on a new level right so i'm i own the in between the beginning and the end on a particular level in that game so i was responsible for scripting the logic in a very procedural programmatic fashion of where do the enemies spawn? What does your companion AI, where do they take cover? What are they saying? 
where do I find pickups, triggering objectives to fire on screen when you kill the boss or find the, the keys or um, playing an animation, um, etc. Et does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So so what um are there any specific benefits or disadvantages to working in one versus the other? You know, because working in a strike team sounds freaking cool. You know, yes. I think I'd want to work in a strike team. It's like SEAL team. Each one of you guys are like a SEAL team, you know, with yes. like your own specialists on each one. Definitely. Um, my, my assumption is you, you guys got like a specific task and like you don't know what that person or that pod is doing or rather that strike team. I'm just going to call it strike teams. Yeah. What that strike team is doing or this strike team is doing, you just got your mission, your focus, mm-hmm. and you have to achieve, right? What yeah. are the what are the benefits or disadvantages between the two kind of you know systems, so to speak? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. There are pros and cons to both ways. I've worked in both, and so one uh, benefit to the strike team pod is that you, as you know, a diverse team, you can cover a lot of ground pretty fast, right? And mm-hmm. to having that fresh perspective or having an artist who's looking at every detail of a prop or a wall or a texture to be like, oh, that looks ugly. Oh, that should not be there. Oh, let me move that out the way, right? Or you yeah. have a, a world builder that's like, oh, the path is not clear. Player gets frustrated or you get lost. Let me adjust that. Um, you have, and the fact that you're right there next to each other, they're looking over your shoulders as you play. You can invite them over. Hey, grab the controller. Let me know how this feels. Or, hey, I, what am I supposed to do here? Allows us to iterate much quicker. Um and the negative, or the I'll say the pro of the other way, of the other way is that when you have a bunch of designers together, then we are able to refine and co- cohesively refine the design so that it's consistent across everything, right? So the potential that presented itself in certain situations is like my level plays very different from the other person's level from the other person's level. And in a different format, Hmm. our design is cohesive and is a system that is consistent across the experience. And when we run into a problem in the work that we're doing, it's easy for me to go over to my buddy next to me to be like, yo, I don't know how to fix this issue with the turret at the top of a bridge and the, you know, like, He's gunning me down every which way, no matter what I set or tune or tweak. How how can did I, you solve it? Can, can I ask you, um, what is there a preference in the industry as far as studios that you know of and stuff like yeah. as opposed to one or the other? Because it does seem like while the strike team sounds super cool and and kind of like really fun. Um, I can already think back to like some games where I can feel like, you know, this one level was super awesome. But then this next level was a little bit jarring. I, I would assume that that's kind of a byproduct of that, right? Like if they don't have, if each strike che- team isn't up to par or as good as, you know, each other, like, like I think that you can kind of see that in the game, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it just comes down to communication. How tight are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how buddy-buddy how are you? How, how quick are you to share information or read that email or read your Slack or something like that and um, adopt a different way of doing something? So, yeah. I, what I have found in my career is that each method is very is optimal for depending on what part of the game you're in. So what I mean by that is when you're 
in pre-production. And that is to say, we don't really know the game we're making. Um, Mm. We know what we want to try. We want to experiment with a bunch of things. I would say that the strike team format works wonders for that because you can kind of game jam and make a bunch of a lot of cool things and then pick and piecemeal uh, something that works as a result of that. And when you are at that makes the sense. End, does it? Yeah, it makes total sense. Actually, mm. you don't and know what you got yet. Yeah. So why not like why not like send out a bunch of teams of like all right, one of you guys, one of these teams has to create something that we're gonna like run with. Yeah. And sort of. At least that's that's how I'm getting it. Yeah. And and then the other model works really, really well when you know what you have and you just got to finish it. You just got to polish it. Right. You just got to get it in the box. So you need all your designers hammering away on those design issues. You need all your artists making sure the world is pristine in every which way in every which location. And you need your engineers banging on the systems and the back end so that it's bug free and like mm-hmm. loads as fast as possible, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, did, you know, so I, 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 I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what was it like, you know, uh, like I, like I personally, I mean, I know like you have a lot of fun memories or actually before we get into this, this, this other topic, do you have any specific influences at Midway? Because obviously the, the, you know, the studio shut down and stuff, which is what I wanted to ask you about, but any specific like big brother types, the influences, a couple guys out there that like really kind of had an impact on your career that you took out of that first job that you had. For sure. For sure. There's definitely a lot of beautiful relationships that I carry out of there. Like there's some brothers in arms that I will always appreciate and help me kind of get my foot in at Rockstar. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of people that are nearby here in Seattle, you know, shout out to my boy, Danny Bulla, my boy, Doug Burton. Um, they're doing great things over at Polyarch in the 3D space. I mean, the VR space, uh, a mentor that, led me to the path that I've kind of specialized in. Um, an old Full Sail alum, uh, Rusty Semsprot, he he kind of helped me see the door or the pathway of a technical game designer, which is a designer that can speak design and knows about fun game play, but is also more engineering inclined. So he can kind of dance that middle ground between engineering and speaking code uh, and playing middleman between design and um, another awesome comrade, uh, you know, Scott Lang was kind of like a a, a solid senior designer that kind of helped me with that imposter syndrome. And and it kind of encouraged my, my silly noobish ideas, short sighted (laughs) ideas to kind of keep experimenting and trust my instincts. And Mike Jones, um, again, a peer, but also um, an awesome producer that has gone on to do great things, various places like yes, he has. Marvel, Konami, Capcom, um, and places like this. And also mentor me and you in Street Fighter, right? Like we <laughs> yeah. thought we played Street Fighter, but like oh my gosh, we, yeah. we were we were white we belts. Did not. We, we did not. We didn't even have white belts on. 
What do you mean? <laughs> I, just, I just remember like being in awe the first time that like I meet. I literally the first time I ever met Mike Jones was actually at the Street Fighter cabinet. And he's just like playing and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm hanging around while you guys are working. I wasn't working. So I was like going to the studio, just hanging out, having pizza and stuff. Um, and he's just there playing and stuff. And he's like, watch, I'm going to perfect this uh, computer on level. <laughs> like the difficulties on 10. And he th- he breaks it down to me in a way where it's like, well, yeah, this is just it's 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 a computer with algorithms. You can break the computer. You can break the program just by playing a certain way. And he just goes and proceeds to like perfect the entire game so easily. And I'm just like, what? Like, yeah, like he perfect the gill. You know, <laughs> like I'm like, what? <laughs> How do you perfect gill on level ten difficulty, like ten yep. stars? It just doesn't make any sense. You know, um, at least that's how I remember it. And then, we, you know, I, I jump in and he starts like he's literally like just like chilling with his legs crossed and his typical mm-hmm. like, you know, um, just to paint the picture, guys. Imagine, uh, you know, kind of Cali skater looking dude with a full <laughs> hawk and, you know, like from Texas, like faded out. Fa- yeah. Faded, yeah. From Texas, but faded out like tea and jeans and stuff. But his legs are crossed up and he's just like like finessing the joystick and the keys and stuff like that like like it's nothing like like playing piano yeah like like he's a virtuoso Mm -hmm. and i'm there like just mashing buttons like pushing a joystick and he's just perfecting me round after round after round um not talking any smack or anything like that and it was literally like acknowledge me senpai (laughs) acknowledge me You know, and then he just started giving us tips and like, you know, kind of built a friendship from there. But ever since then, it was like, oh, so this is fighting games. This is how you play fighting games. Yeah. Frame data, distance. Yeah. 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 Combo. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable how intricate a simple thing like you take a fighting game, any fighting game, and... The average person will just look at it as like, oh, well, this one character, all I got to do is hit the guy on the other side of the screen until the bar goes down. But when you look at the program, the details, the mathematics involved, it is so much more involved in order to be able to play the game the way it was meant to be played. Um, yo, yeah, that was some good times. Yeah, I think I think there's like some like I, I'm not I'm not a roller, but I, I think there's a, some jujitsu uh, philosophy in fighting games as well. I think there absolutely is, especially with with jujitsu, because it's a it's a chess game. Jujitsu is a chess game, just like fighting games are. It's I make this move, you're gonna react. I made that move because I want that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the idea to so, open you up. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. To take advantage of you and get perfect. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so many broken hori things. <laughs> anyway all right so um so midway lots of fun cool ass atmosphere we, we we got to to meet a bunch of people but unfortunately midway ended up closing right midway yep. um you know was having some financial trouble and they they got bought out and yep. you know unfortunately you know you ended up having to look for other work what's it like as a game designer and not just as a game designer but this is your first job Yes. And then your job to be ended, not because you, you know, did poorly yourself specifically or um, they, they, they just have a replacement for you or whatever it is, but because of something that does happen very common, commonly in the industry, um, at least for some smaller studios, sometimes big studios like Midway, where 
you know, they just end up getting bought out and shut down. What was it like getting the news that they've shut down the studio and you got X amount of time or whatever it is? What was it like going through that? And then how did you obviously, you know, from here you ended up at, at, at Rockstar. What was the transition like? What, what was your feelings when this all started? And then how did you get yourself, get your foot into Rockstar? Yeah, this is a very special time of which I was very happy to have you around, you know, a great friend to kind of ground me. But I, you know, I, I would be in a very different state of mind today, right? Like, hey, I have property, cars, a wife, responsibility. I would have taken the news very differently than I was back then when I was single, no responsibility, nothing, no real big debt other than probably student loans and things like this. So uh, all of us were caught off guard where we walk into the studio one day and you see this company suit guy that you've never seen around. And we have this kind of impromptu meeting in the middle of a lobby telling mm. us, hey, great work. Thank you for everything you've done. And effective immediately, your project is canceled. Pack up all your stuff and and goodbye. Wow. Right? It was like that. <laughs> it was like that. It was like straight up like, hey, like, you know, you walk into the job and then like it's like, oh, you walked in to go get your stuff home. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. It, which which, you know, I, I want to respect how heavy that could be. Yeah. But again, you know, never having been through anything like that. And we were we were given like two months of severance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you, if you weren't able, and we were, we, most of us kind of help had other people to help us find work. But for those that didn't, myself included, you know, we found we had unemployment to kind of help us get through to the next thing. So I, again, the fact that it wasn't just me, that I, we had a, a team of people that we loved and were in the trenches with all kind of come together and console each other, right? To kind of have that group therapy. Yeah. yeah. But I, I remember coming home and your sister was visiting as well. Uh, so you guys were super supportive. Uh, you guys are probably cracking out on like Guitar Hero too. At yeah, the time. we were actually. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when I come home, I remember your sister's face too, man, loving that thing. Um, so like I come home and I remember know, this. share the news and and you guys were, were there to kind of like, catch the weight of that and all of us were there to kind of help each other build or figure out what's next right to be like hey do we build a team do we make our own game do yeah. we uh hey i have friends in this company i have friends in this company you know like like let's get on the phone let's send out some emails let's let's sharpen Again, each this other is, this is that camaraderie that you build when you're working you know in the trenches for you know 80 hours a week because that's kind of what it's like to, to be in game design, right? You're working, you know, kind of like every single waking hour, you're sort of on a game, um, especially when you're getting your crunch time and working those 80 hours a week and having to like trust a person, you know, sitting next to you and stuff like that to be able to push the game out and all that. You build that sort of camaraderie and you hope that like it's there, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it works in both ways, right? Like uh, if you are not up to snuff or... Um, a dick, right? Then you won't have that network. Yeah, you won't have that absolutely. person vouching for you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a word of caution. Um, is you know, make sure that we were all real and honest and uh, caring about each other, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. we we could all count on each other. We all had each other's back. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I think I coped with enjoying or coming or understanding the term of fun employment by at the time, I think we got on, we survived off like poker and street fighter tournaments and things like this. Uh, to- oh yeah. <laughs> we, got the, we got the poker skills down. <laughs> oh my gosh. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And um, shout out to Torres and Loretta. Shout out to Chris Torres and Andrew Loretta. Uh, <laughs> and so the, I think what, what you learn about this industry that there's ebbs and flows and that there's like a, a peak time. There's like an off season and an on season. And so mo a lot of recruiting tends to happen kind of at the end of the year for some reason or the other and leading into the beginning of the year. So I went from a few interviews, a good amount of interviews, thanks to the strength of my network to get my muscle developed, right? Like mm-hmm. um, I tell I tell people this now is that interviewing is a muscle that if you don't work it out, if you don't do your reps, it's going to get weak. And it's something you have to keep working out because now that I had all this experience under my belt, I did not really know how to sell myself as a result of that experience, right? Uh, mm, interesting. And, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I like... I kind of revert, reverted back to what I knew and like I was talking to peers and different companies, different developers, depending on the types of games they make. Right. So I had gone from making mature teen rated titles to maybe more casual family friendly titles where we weren't looking for the same things. And so naturally that relationship wouldn't work. But I took it hard. Right. Getting those hard no's and passes on those interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually. Eventually, I aligned myself with a few opportunities, and this was now kind of the second time EA and I danced together where I had a contract offer come to me for Medal of Honor going happening in like EA LA at the time. There was another company that is now defunct in that would have been back in Florida and Rockstar San Diego. So out of the three there was one that to me was way more notable and um, enticing and a heck of an opportunity than the other at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I had the fortune that Red Dead Redemption was was announced already. There was like trailers floating around of, of some early E3 footage that would let me know, okay, this is what they're building. What could I bring to that space? Uh, how would I sell my skills to marry with their need for design on that type of open world cowboy fantasy on, on horseback. And, um, you know, luckily my dad was huge, uh, spaghetti Western Clint Eastwood kind of fan (laughs) growing up. So you had a little knowledge there. I mean, Red Dead Redemption being my favorite franchise. Well, one of my favorite franchises from rockstar it's, it's right up there. I mean, Red Dead Redemption too was huge for me but like you know max Payne is another one that's always been max, max Payne, Payne was growing up was my favorite but red okay. dead redemption like stole my heart red dead redemption was special for all of us right like yeah. none of us knew what it really meant and even working on it was a special time because we felt like this was cool but compared to grand theft auto and midnight club and max Payne and some yeah. of these other established franchises that rockstar was putting out we didn't know what the world, how it would it be was gonna received. Hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Um, but fortunately, I think uh, the interview went well because and and so I noticed a pattern right through throughout the throughout all my 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 year interviewing. It's a gauntlet, bro. It is a gauntlet. One man goes in and you face round after round after round after round after round of like two men, sometimes three men, sometimes four men interviews. And you, by the time you get out of an interview, you're spent. You know, you, you're in there for five hours singing and dancing and trying to sell yourself and answer questions and problem solve. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. So, you know, so getting the job at, at Rockstar, you went from Midway, you know, the smaller studio in uh, Austin to Rockstar, which is the rock star of the video game industry. They're the rebels. They're the, uh, you know, you can't tell us what to do, you know, studio, basically. How, what was it like transitioning from between the two studios and the the differences, the the likes, dislikes, anything that you missed or yeah. or anything that you enjoyed? What did you gather or, or gain from working at Rockstar? Yeah, absolutely, man. Again, going back to something I was trying to scratch at with the, the vibe and the type of games that I work on and have a natural sense and inclination for was like much more adult oriented, right? Heavier, maybe even violent, but just deeper, right? Something I could relate to and bite my teeth into versus smaller scales. So it was a much better fit. Uh, I think I think that passion came across in the interview as I was designing a mission or talking about what I would bring um, so that, um, and again, having that network, a bunch of full sellers were there. And even my buddy that I worked with at Midway helped mm. kind of push me yeah. through when they were asking around, hey, have you worked with this guy before? And it's like, absolutely. I'd ride or die with him again. Definitely, right? Thumbs up, bring them aboard. But Rockstar is all together, straight up and down, a different beast of machine. And you can tell in their games, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the the I mean, you know, before that, let's uh, Rockstar, if I'm not mistaken, Rockstar was like your dream studio. Like that's, you know, when you got into the game design, you know, or or, or into the idea of getting into the into, into game design, Rockstar was kind of like the 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 gold, no? I think so. I, I you know, looking back, it's a long time ago, but you're absolutely right. You know that I I could be able to come in and freely express myself or bring a vision to life in this simulated real world play space. Right? They call them sandbox yeah. games for a reason. Uh, yeah. Where you know anything is possible, and what I would come to find out, and and so. Again, my support circle, my 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 best friends, you included at the time, acknowledge that it's like, yo, it's Rockstar. Do what it do. Go where it has to go. Right. I, I did not want to leave my circle and friends and family in Austin, um, but I was pushed and rightfully so to, hey, this is a mega move for your career uh, on your resume. Do it. And so with I mean, that support, I, I rooted, I uprooted, you know, relocation and I started my venture into California, SoCal, West Coast from New York, right? Like humble kids yeah. from New York. Yeah. Getting to Cali and actually finding home, bro. Like finding a pace that fit my 
turtle-esque pace as opposed to the mad sprint <laughs> life of New York. Everyone in high school will know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> John's locker, the last locker to ever close. I, I, I like Every to take day. my time. I, I'm deliberate. I'm an I'm I'm animal <laughs> habit. I don't rush. Right. I don't believe in rushing. Uh, haste makes waste. But... <laughs> You know, to to know to know that is to love me, man, and, and I appreciate that for it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, when you made it to Rockstar, it was literally like I don't know, like maybe because we kind of grew up in a little bit more of impoverished neighborhoods or culture, or whatever, what have you. You know, it felt like you know, like one of us made it out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like to think of it like D twelve and Eminem when Eminem made it big. It was like all the guys are like, oh my god, one of us made it. You know, like. I couldn't have been happier, you know. There's no way that I was gonna be like, nah, you can't. You gotta think about it. Oh no, you gotta think about like, you know, like staying here, this and the other. It was like that was a no brainer. I was like, bro, you should have said yes yesterday. You know? <laughs> so. For sure, for sure. And um, and with the, the experience I would gather there is like second to none. And uh, their tools really set them apart, man. Like um, that's something that I noticed from Rockstar compared to anywhere else is mm-hmm. the tools and technology that they've built on their own proprietarily is time and time again on their franchise is what allows them to stay ahead of the game and really push the envelope with every iteration. And even even you can see it in their online offerings, right? Like the, the, the way that you can be in these worlds with 16 players plus is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what else about Rockstar and working for Rockstar that was different as far as like, I mean, you mentioned the tools, you mentioned the, um, you know, uh, like all the, you know, the, the, uh, the differences there, but like, as far as, um, you know, the culture and stuff between working for such a big organization, because having Rockstar, having studios everywhere that you got to collaborate with is Mm -hmm. a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. uh, The culture is something special because I, you instantly get a sense of the seriousness of game production when you come into Rockstar where they have an expectation of a game to sell, you know, over 10 million copies or it's a failure, you know, and um, they, they, they treat this business as an art and as a craft and they don't settle for anything. Right. Like when I was working at Midway, we were trying to hit holidays. We had to cut the corners we had to get just to get in the mm, box at the, right, at, the yeah. at the right time. And that cost us. Right. Yeah. Uh, we and begged quality. and pleaded. Yeah, we begged and pleaded with the publisher, hey, please give us six more months. We're almost there. And they were like, no, we got to make a date. We we announced it's it's shareholders and, and it's a thing and marketers and, and Best Buy and all that. They're waiting, right? So yeah. with Rockstar, there's a luxury that they can afford to say, we're going to keep working on this until it's perfect. And that's an undefined amount of time. And we have the money to roll it until it's perfect. Um, and when we announce, we're going to stick to that date. And even then, they've pushed it traditionally. Yeah. Right? They, they've yeah. been able to push it. Uh-huh. I mean, they did that with Red Dead. They've done it with GTA Five, I think, too, right? Like, I think pretty much every game has been pushed a significant amount of time from the announcement now. At least uh, in yeah. recent memory, I think. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, can't tell you, yeah. I can't tell you it's specifically. It's been a while. But, yeah, yeah, I can't tell you specifically, but like, 
you know, you can always go into a GameStop and they have a date in their books. And for sure, the date that the game actually comes out is very different. <laughs> I mean, Rockstar has luxury to be like, you get it when you get it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Nintendo's been that way. You yeah. Know, because you can't, you can't put a calendar on games. It's hard. It's hard to be like, okay, it's ready. Ghost of Tsushima, I'm sure they did not anticipate spending five years on it, but they did. Oh, right? yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Such a good game. Did you finish it? I it's on my queue. It's on my queue. You haven't played it? You haven't started it? It's on my queue. I'm in the middle of a job transition, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's been challenging. Oh my gosh, that game is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, um so so yeah, man, Rockstar, beautiful yeah, place. Sorry. <laughs> taught taught me the seriousness of development and the love and the blood that you're gonna drip to make this thing perfect. Um, but it will happen. And the difference it takes to get that quality. And I think that's something that was instilled in me that's super valuable whenever I talk to other employers or teammates, right? It's, it's like, I can bring you what I know of what it takes to get that polish in your product um, as a result of my experience with Rockstar and learning from these geniuses, bro. I honestly can only revere them as masters of their craft in the writers in the engineers in the designers and you know i just want to tr- there was there was you know working on grand theft auto 5 was definitely the peak or highlight of my career and i, I will admit to you gabe that i've done nothing yet right like i feel like i still still have a way to go but that okay. was a peak and a pinnacle and to uh i think to get to win like design of the year or game of the year uh, for Red Dead Redemption was something beautiful and special, right? That we can only kind of yeah. relate to like NBA playoffs or something like that, <laughs> winning the chip. Uh, and we were, we were, I think we were neck and neck with like Mass Effect 2 that year, right? So you have, you have two. Yeah, camps. that's true. And I remember there was a lot of uproar mm-hmm. over Mass Effect 2 not getting it. Oh, yeah. Um, So so I think what I found throughout that throughout that loop was an appreciation and um, technical uh, focus on what it takes to play puppeteer with NPCs and companions. Right. Because a trademark of Rockstar Games is you always have a buddy with you that's telling you where to go or come save me or crap. Yeah or help me or hey come pick me up or or chasing somebody right like this is yep, a, a trademark yep. of a lot of the missions and campaign or, or a lot of building the world right making you feel that you're just a spectator in this world um and i don't that, know why i didn't realize that now that i think about that it's, it's 100 true <laughs> it's a narrative mechanic right like how do yeah. you how do you steer the player uh not so obviously or guide them in this world. Cause if you don't, if you don't handhold them somehow, you're going to get lost in LA or in the wild West, right. With so many ways to go or, or play. This is a mechanic that is uh, commonly used. Yeah. Um, I just didn't realize that it's like, kind of like every single mission is kind of like that. Now that I think about it, thinking back on like some of the more, more notable missions, it's always with like someone like telling me what to do, where to go and to go with them. Yeah, like you, we can go back to GTA 4, right? And like, cousin, yeah. Nico, what's <laughs> yeah. up? Or Jacob, right? Jacob yeah. is one of the yeah. best. Yeah. 
so so that that led me down the path because I have a passion, deep, deep, deep passion for ever since Metal Gear Solid and Splinter Cell and games like Dishonored and, and Mark of the Ninja is stealth and AI and even Arkham, right? Batman Arkham games, I think, do it uh, superbly well is stealth and AI. And um, I love that, that gameplay. And I also have an understanding of what it takes to craft that, right? Uh, and so in between my transition from Rockstar, when I was on the market as a free agent, I could now have the luxury of I had a few ship titles. I had some notoriety in my uh, resume working on GTA 5, a little bit of Red Dead 2, shipping Red Dead Redemption, that now I can somewhat be selective on where I want to go or what team or project I want to get on. Um, so we could, I was looking at, um, Activision and Call of Duty. I was also in talks with Sucker Punch at the time. And so this was like 2014. Yeah, this is interesting. This is interesting. Oh man, you could have been on Ghost of Tsushima. (laughs) That, that's the thing. They had just finished, uh, infamous second son and they were looking for a lead mission designer. And unbeknownst to me at the time, this is what would shape up to be Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, my gosh. That's right? freaking amazing. That's so funny. It's, it's wow. crazy. It was crazy to me. Um, and I remember working hard on a test they gave, bro. It was a super hard design test. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out. And so another, another IP or franchise that I was very kind of fanboy or salivating for mm-hmm. was Arkham. So I'm a huge fan of Batman and Ar- the Arkham Asylum. And it's funny, I was looking today as I was preparing for this, I got the little Facebook memory thing. And it was like, did you know, nine years ago today, you bought Arkham City and you were playing that. <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, man. Dude, that series is so good. That's a, that's serious. See, that's the thing. Like you, it's so funny because you worked on on Red Dead, you worked on GTA Five, and um, very notable, super pivotal games. But like the the Arkham series itself was a huge game changer. Also, like Arkham kind of defined you know combat for a lot of games from that from that point on. One hundred percent. You're right. Yeah. I, I I like yeah. to talk about it's AI and and, and you know Hunter. <laughs> yeah kind of yes, mode. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah. But but the main reason I played that game, I mean, was absolutely like 100 man, 100 hit untouchable combos, right? That I felt like <laughs> yeah. a ninja. I felt yeah. like a ninja, bro. Well, I mean, Batman is a ninja and that's a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why you had not not only did you have like the amazing fighting mechanics that made it so much fun, so easy, uh, and just really, really cool. Yeah, the AI was the stealth and everything was really, really cool too. Because I think it's the first Batman game out of the many that we've ever that we've played where he's he's a real ninja. He was he 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 kind of personified, in my view, the Christian Bale Batman. Right? Chris, mm. When we saw Christian Bale, is the first time that we saw him, you know, train with uh, Ghoul and and as as a ninja himself, yep. you know. Uh, and then this game, you know, followed suit and, and showed us how to play like a ninja, how to, you know, instill fear and all that stuff, everything that we got from the films. So, yes. 
There was a lot of great synergy between the fanfare of the films and the Arkham series. Uh, I'm I'm, because of the stealth. Yeah, I'm glad you realized that and recognized that because it was something that I learned once I got there. Right, we 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 were we were essentially like not we were we were tied to DC on whatever we did. Right, they would review our content and we would have back and right. forth with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found out that there definitely was influence in both directions from the Nolan films and what Arkham Asylum was doing. Right, where they incorporated some of the mechanics that they saw in Arkham Asylum into the films. Right, that whole like hunt or and, and and set them up and mm, make them yeah. feel like you know uh, instilling oh, fear yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool yeah and so see these are some of the fun things that like you know when you think about like wanting to do game design and stuff like that like it's it's these aspects that i think is alluring to a lot of people that you know a lot of a lot of geeks a lot of nerds all the all the fans out there that are into the whole culture right because video games or film and stuff like that, that all comes, the desire to get into those careers, that all comes from, you know, nerddom. That all comes from, like, nerding out on, like, you know, the Batman comics or this video game or that video game and then, like, wanting to, you know, have a know-how, knowledge of how to put these things together and then deciding to do so, you know. Um, what advice, you know, given given your track, obviously I think that, like, you have you have a very calculated um you know uh i guess timeline of events to what to what has led you to where you are today at ea um what advice do you have or pointers or anything you know for somebody that has an interest in game design or or wants to pursue a career in it and stuff should they should they go to you know formal education um and if so like where to how you know, some some tips, you know, for those of us, uh, for Eli, actually, one of our yeah. you know, regular hosts. Who, I got Eli who, in mind. Yeah. I got Eli, Eli in mind, yeah. So just so you know, Eli, not only is he a super nerd, he's also an up-and-coming artist. He goes to art school, wants to get into comic design. It's it, His idea is that he wants to be a comic designer, but he also has the idea of possibly getting into game design as well. So, you know, I, like someone like him. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I have him in mind. I was, I was looking forward to, to meeting him, speaking with him. Um, so Eli is the next generation. And, you know, just like we all build off of one another, he has a solid opportunity. And so if I get to speak with him directly, right, if I get to target him and to say, if you have a passion or an interest in this entertainment space of which encompasses video games, movies, comic books, what have you, film, animation, it's all its all kind of very similar these days, right? If you can do one, you can maybe you can dabble it into the other. Um, especially from an art background, what I would say is find, find what you love, you know, whatever, whatever subject matter or way to create, whether that's writing, drawing, coding, uh, writing rules or instructions to a game, right? That's a game designer's. Mm-hmm. real bread and butter um, and practice that as you would naturally without having to get paid. Right. If you want to draw or create or write, do it, just do it. And for an artist, I would, I would definitely push them towards blender. I would tell them a uh, download blender, watch tutorials, 
learn how to bring your drawings to life in 3D in Blender, and that will get you super far in appreciating what it takes to build out and model and even potentially animate in this 3D space. And for an artist, I think there's a much more traditional path where you can build out your portfolio and target the people or the products that you like, right? Um, if you want to go ultra realistic, I, I would I would caution against it I, that that takes mm-hmm. a lot of time and talent and skill. And I would push you to be more stylized, right? Think Pixar, think Overwatch, think um, even mm-hmm. Gotham Knights to an extent is more stylized over. Ultra yeah, realistic. no, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I think that's a really important thing where, you know, you want to make sure that you also start to like develop your own style as well. Right. Yeah. And also then you can get noticed. Your work is your resume. Absolutely. And in this day and age with streaming on Twitch or YouTube, um, build your brand, build your personal brand and develop your community online where you share your work and open it up because that's a muscle that has paid dividends for any developer when they create something and pass off the controller and are criticized where you have to you have to override your natural defensiveness, right? As animals, we have the flight or fight response. Hey, I'm being attacked. I'm being criticized. I mm-hmm. want to defend. You have to, you have to calm that voice down. You have to <laughs> interpret the feedback and make your, make your uh, output or arts better, right? To align with the feedback that you're getting from your boss, your lead, your superior, or your senior artist, right? If you happen to be working for Jim Lee or my favorite of all time, uh, Joe Mad, right? That's right, Joe Mad. Mm-hmm. I would have figured, ah, that's right, it is Joe Mad. Uh, John Romita Jr. is my favorite. John well, Romita, uh, you know, Romita's it's hard. Awesome. I can't, I, it's it's hard a lot. for me to say favorite. I just, I love John Romita Jr. Um, and Senior, um, yep. the Cuba Brothers. And, but Jim Cuber, Lee, yeah, it's, yeah, Jim oh, Lee's man, man. it's tough. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of good yeah. guys out there. I, yeah. I, Joe Mad is a hero. His work on X Men, I love his his version yeah. of Spider Man. Oh, yeah. And and he then he went on to make his own game, right? Like he made yeah. his own game studios. Darksiders are is an awesome franchise, uh, for sure. So, um, any 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 parting words, uh, you know, before we. We leave our geekers out there. Uh, the geekers for our next episode. Um, yeah i I am super happy to have been a part of this. I again, I wish this was around when I was a lowly geek with a small circle of friends, trying to cover as much ground as we could. Right? Like, um, yeah, this I is mean, so we're, valuable. We're trying to do all the legwork for uh, the geekers out there, so they don't have to. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the community is so awesome now, especially with the pandemic and everything, to still feel somewhat connected with like-minded yes. people. Yes. Um, and, and you know, to be fair, everybody has an opinion. It's easy to hate on something. It's harder to to love and build up and encourage. And I think that's what we all need, right? As, as creators, as developers, as writers, as aspiring artists, right? Like, Let's build each other up with our geek with our geek knowledge. Um, let's let's share that with each other and help us be as accurate slash creative 
or and bring things to life that when we have those conversations, like, yo, you know, it'd be so awesome in the next Black Panther movie if this happened, right? Like, like let's try to build stuff versus tear stuff down. It's too easy to tear stuff down, man. It's so much harder to build. It's so much harder to build. Um, yo, Jay, John, Kingpin, um, thank you so much for taking the time to 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 you know out of the busy schedule that you have, especially just starting out at EA. Obviously, you already have heard my well wishes um, on your uh, your tenure at EA that's upcoming. But you know, from from all of us at Get Geek, we definitely definitely look forward to seeing what you're going to be building, creating, and delivering to us, you know, as an electronic artist. Um, and I hope you guys all out there enjoy the interview. Um, you know, hopefully this is the first, you know, interview that we've done. It's not going to be the last. And it certainly, hopefully, isn't going to be the last time that you guys hear uh, from John uh, as uh, we bring him on to some of our regular episodes, hopefully as a subject matter expert, whenever we're talking about and geeking out over any video game stuff. So, um, uh, and once again, if you guys like, share, like, like us, if you like the, uh, what you heard and all that stuff, please rate, review and subscribe. Um, send this, hit the share button right now, send it to like, you know, someone that, you know, that wants to break into the video game industry that wants to know a little bit about what it's like to be, uh, a game designer and yeah, you know, let's, let's, let's get this, uh, geek on. Right. Um, John, do you have any social media handles that you want to put out there so that people can try to follow your, you know, your career and, and, and whatnot? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, please hit me up on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. So that's L Kingpin, E L K I N G P I N. And that's, and I'm always on there and I'm sharing, Everything I'm up to, everything my peers are up to, and definitely having a lot of discourse over getting more diversity in the game industry, man. We need more people from all walks of life to bring their perspective to things. And John, I don't know if you know what uh, our typical kind of signing off call out is. I think you should know what it is, but can you give us the sign off? Let's see if you know it. Yo, I don't. You sure? <laughs> what is it like? Uh, Excelsior. I don't even know, bro. <laughs> no, guys, in the words of our good friend Jose, stay geeky, my friends. Stay geeky, my friends. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys, that'll be it. Check you guys later. Peace. <laughs>